Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Once I reviewed each of his works in the chronological order of publication, but Ka is a wheel. It all goes round again, and here I am once more on a new phase of the journey, one that examines each of the endings of the works of Stephen King to determine whether or not King deserves his reputation for having an inability to successfully land his endings. The focus of the podcast will be to examine the climax, the falling action, and the resolution of the endings to each of his novels and break it down by character, themes, conflict, and plot to determine whether or not it meets the criteria of being an objectively good ending. I will also weigh in on whether or not I happen to personally like the ending, and today I am here to discuss the ending of The Dark Tower, Book 5, Wolves of the Kala. And welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Stephen King cast. And for first-time listeners, welcome to the Stephen King cast. So for anyone that's tuning in for the first time, and again, hey, anyone that is a longtime listener, I apologize for the the, the uh, repetition in the preamble. Um, but like Stan Lee said, um, everyone... Uh, has their first issue of a comic book. You never know when it's going to be. It's not always with a number one. This is someone's first time listening to the Stephen King cast, and I want them to know what the Stephen King cast is all about. So like I said, right now, it is discussing the endings of Stephen King. But if you are, if you just picked up uh, Gwendy's Final Task um, or, uh, you know, are just going through HBO Max and happen to land on It Chapter 2 and you're like, huh, I wonder if I should check out a Stephen King podcast and you found the Stephen King cast. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the Stephen King cast. It started out because I wanted to go through each of the works in the chronological order of publication to give a college-level analysis of the texts, place it within the context of his life and his larger themes and the uh, events that were occurring in the world at the time of the publications that we had a full deep dive into each of the works. And so I did that. And uh, that was a great uh, journey that I know that some people are currently going through the f for the first time. So if you're tuning in and you want a deep, deep, deep dive in the world of Stephen King, all you have to do is go back to the beginning to episode one in which I start off with Carrie and work my way through. And eventually I get to the point which brings us to now I am in the midst of reviewing the endings of the works of Stephen King because around the time of The Outsider, uh, the HBO adaptation, I heard just a lot of criticism around Stephen King uh, being unable to land his endings, and I really wanted to interrogate that and unpack that, and so now I'm doing a, a, little, a little dive into the endings of Stephen King's uh, uh, works, which brings us to today. I'll be talking about Wolves of the Kala, which will be an interesting conversation. Uh, because it's one of the only, you know, anytime we talk about the Dark Tower, endings are uh, tricky because each, each conclusion is a conclusion of a chapter um, rather than uh, the, the, the final moments of a story. So that's what we're going to be doing today. And also I just want to acknowledge, yes, I know my uh, my podcasting within the last year has been infrequent at best. And I really want to acknowledge the last episode I know was sad. Um, I 
talked about the uh, the um, the passing of my of my furry co-host and thank you everyone for all of the well wishes that you sent out it's just I needed to process it I needed to put it out there it is still sad I still miss her greatly um, but you know I, I just wanted to acknowledge that last episode was not your typical episode um, Okay, so what we're going to do today is I want to read some emails and I want to read some uh, reviews because I appreciate all the reviews that I get from everyone because I can't do this alone. So if you have any time on your hands, head on over to iTunes and leave a review like the following reviews from iHeartHK who says, Terrific. This has been the best and most detailed information regarding Stephen King's books and movies. I would have given this five stars, but it always has really wordy songs playing in the background. I'm going to interject. I've stopped doing that based on all the feedback that I have heard throughout the years. Uh, Terrific continues. These are fairly loud, rendering the host's narration of the book's synopsis impossible to be heard. And if that's not bad enough, there has been drum beats and snoring, which I thought was my husband until I removed my earbuds. So the drum beats are my hands at times. The snoring um, that has been my furry co-hosts in the past, um, which I'm very grateful that I have recorded as I can go back and listen to them during times when they were able to spend time with me and me with them. Okay, so um, thank you, uh, I Heart HK. I heart the fact that you wrote in. And then we have Jay Brozier who writes, five stars, the best podcast. Thank you, best Stephen King podcast by far. Thank you. Then we have the Slavas who writes, um, a podcast for uh, the constant readers. Upon discovering this podcast, I was immediately hooked and five episodes in, I am confident in saying this is a perfect podcast for Stephen King fans. Thank you, I try. And we have five stars from the Page Master, a true King podcast. I'm already nine episodes in this podcast and I love it. I love everything about Stephen King. Our host explains each episode and work of King in depth. Praise always to the master of horror. Thank you. And we have Susie B 91 who writes great podcast, five stars. I have been binge listening, waiting for more with clap hand emojis. And we have Herbster 88 who writes binge listening, five stars. Found this podcast about a week ago and I'm going through these quick. Thank you. And then we have uh, Rick Seam who writes unparalleled, five stars. I prefer constant readers discussion of his thoughts and reactions uh, to the writings of Mr. King over other podcasts that pad their shows with a relevant banter of or digressions into showbiz talk and the like. If you prefer discussions of the books themselves, this is the podcast for you. So Rick, thank you so much. Um, and I, I hesitated at, at reading that one because I don't want to prop anyone up, myself included, by tearing anyone else down. Um, but I also want to acknowledge that uh, there are a lot of Stephen King podcasts out there now. And when I started the Stephen King cast, um, there weren't. There was myself. There was the Stephen King podcast by Lou and Lilia. Um, and that was pretty much it. And so I wanted to create a podcast for Stephen King that I would want to listen to. Um, and thankfully, in the years since, there are a plethora of Stephen King podcasts to choose from. So I do appreciate um, the the feedback that I am that uh, it's, it's so kind the the feedback that I have gotten. Um, but um, there is a Stephen King podcast out there for everyone. Um, so if you want a good hangout podcast, there are a lot of those. 
Um, and you know, there are many that you can uh, listen to where, where celebrities are able to, to jump on in. Um, and then there's other great chronological um, engagements in which people go through the chronological order and compare the movies and um, you know, do deep dives into the, the, the works in roundtable style discussion. So there's just so many to choose from now, which is great. Um, but if you do happen to like the Stephen King cast and, and you do want me to stand out from the rest, uh, please just head on over to iTunes and leave a review, and that would be fantastic. Thank you, everyone. Okay, what I'm going to do now is read some listener email, which you can do. Um, you can write in to stephenkingcast at yahoo.com um, and, and you know write me something, and I will most likely read it on the air. So I have Dan who writes, Hi, Constant Reader. I must admit I stumbled across your podcast months ago, but only recently dove into the episodes. I am now hooked, but jumping around out of chronological, ugh, out of chronological order due to my own unique path to kingdom. My journey began just a few years back when I decided to read It, a book I was loosely aware of growing up, but had yet to ex explore firsthand. Of course, once I began it, I could not put it down, and from there I began chasing that unique flavor of storytelling. I soon followed it with the stand Excellent, 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 Insomnia, Salem's Lot, before moving to some of the short story collections. I practically inhaled everything's eventual and full dark no stars, as well as four past midnight, I absolutely loved the Institute and cannot wait for some form of TV slash film adaptation. Currently, I'm halfway through 11.22.63, which has been amazing. Its return to Derry was starting to peter out a bit before... Uh, spoiler alert. I haven't been that interested in the Dark Tower series, but the more I read and also hear you tie together the Connected King universe, I'm starting to grow more curious. I have followed a very prescriptive path for how I embrace King books. I first must read the book, then I follow it up with a listen to the audiobook version, great for spotting nuance missed the first time through, and if possible, whatever film slash TV adaptation is available. Your podcast is thorough, thoughtful reviews are now part of that lineup. It's amazing to hear you draw lines between his works over the years and reveal deeper meanings and intentions to his writing. Please keep up the great work. Trying. I leave you with two questions, if you'd be so kind. I'm listening to your review of The Stand right now, and you mention a movie in development with Matthew McConaughey. Obviously, that was recorded years ago, and the said movie never came to be. But why? I can't seem to find anything online that specifically discusses how that went off the rails and when and why. Granted, CBS did its just, mini, just did its miniseries, meh, but I desire a well-down movie version. Sadly, it doesn't seem to be in the cards now. So if you... he's. Um, He's referring to uh, back in the day, prior to the Dark Tower movie even, there was discussion of um, Matthew McConaughey uh, jumping into the role of uh, Flag um, during a time when, uh, I mean, we were looking at uh, different iterations of the Stand movie at one time. Uh, ben Affleck was tapped to uh, direct it. And I don't know how, you know, I am <laughs> uh, just a small town New Englander. I have no connections to Hollywood. I only know what I know from, you know, reading film trade news. So I, I don't know, you know, how much is legit news how much is speculation um you know so i don't know how far mcconaughey got in in conversations i don't know 
if it was ever truthful um, or if it was blown up. But eventually the, the movie that they were looking to uh, create wound up devolving into the CBS um, the CBS All Access uh, slash Paramount um, miniseries that fizzled last year. I was not a fan. Um, that was overseen by by Josh Boone. So um, what once could have been a big budget movie um, on the big screen, I believe it was supposed to be two parts, um, starring Matthew McConaughey, turned into a, you know, a little TV miniseries. Um, so that's, that's what happened there. Uh, my other question about your use of music during your programs. Don't get me wrong. The choices are spot on during the intros, but they can be a bit distracting while you read the Wikipedia summary to set up context. Just wondering if that was for a specific reason. Nope. I just like some background music, but I tend to, uh, I understand it gets distracting. Um, before I sign off, I leave you with my personal rankings of King books I've read so far. It, The Stand, The Institute, Everything's Eventual, Salem's Lot, Full Dark No Stars, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, Four Past Midnight, Skeleton Crew, Insomnia, The Outsider. In Progress, 112263, Under the Dome, Lisey's Story, Storm of the Century, and Elevation. So, thank you so much, Dan. You know what I'm jealous about is that you have so much more Stephen King in your future, which is awesome. Then Rick writes, Constant Reader. I recently discovered your podcast and I'm eagerly devouring your backlog. For me, one of the most striking aspects of your show are the listener emails. Uh, the devotion of Mr. King's readers both fascinate and puzzles me. You see, I came of age in a world before Stephen King was Stephen King, when he just was some unknown writer publishing in men's magazines that I did not read. Based on the dedication and revival and interviews with Mr. King that I have read, I imagine we had similar influences when it came to horror literature. I was also under the spell of the Twilight Zone circle of writers. Most of what I read then and now consists of short stories, so I confess that I am more of a fan of Mr. King's short stories and his more recent novels than I am of his earlier works, with the exception of Salem's Lot, which I devoured eagerly as I got a kick out of Dracula coming to a small town in Maine. Growing up, the only horror novels I read were Dracula and Frankenstein. I did not have bookstores with a horror section dominated by a handful of writers. Consequently, I can't imagine being so devoted to a single author as some of Mr. King's fans are, or at least the ones that send emails to your podcast. For me and my peers, the closest analog I can think of is the original Twilight Zone. Frankly, I don't know whether or not I should be jealous of you, um, you youngins growing up with such a singular body of literature. I would be interested in your thoughts, if any, on generational differences in reading Mr. King. Signed, an inconsistent reader. That's a great way of putting it. P.S. At least I don't have to look forward to a world without more books for Mr. King, as do some of your younger listeners, so that we can have pity on each other. So, inconsistent reader. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I can speak too much to that. Uh, yeah, I mean, the what what king wound up doing once he hit the scene was become such a tremendous powerhouse um his his prolific nature that has stretched across decades um has ensured that at the very least he has published one book a year sometimes um two um and in the case of 1996 he published regulators he published The Desperation on the same day, and then he published monthly over a period of six months The Green Mile, uh, the Green Mile Saga. So 
I mean, to say that he's prolific uh, is is an understatement. So he he has always been there. And I don't know, maybe there's something to be said about modern fandom um, has grown up along him, alongside him. Um, he's been like a lightning rod for that. Um, you mentioned Revival. It's an apt comparison. Uh, and that has just really helped shape uh, a new style of fan. Um, but, I mean, that, that, that level of fandom also has been there. I mean, prior to Stephen King, I mean, there was J.R.R. Tolkien um, and his fans uh, similarly with the Cimmerillion are, uh, you know, dedicated um, passionately to, to, to his um, to his works before that idea of the um, the modern day author as celebrity, which has always existed, but the modern day version of that, you know, really Stephen King helped proliferate. So um, I, I, I can't really speak too much to that, but it is an interesting question that you have um, brought in. If anyone does have a little bit more experience with that, please write into Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com. Then Mark writes, longtime fan of the podcast and lifelong fan of Stephen King. Growing up watching the original Pet Cemetery and It miniseries at a young age, I was hooked, but the length of the books was always taunting to me as I was not a great reader growing up. Reading Stephen King helped me become a better reader. The approach I'm taking as an adult is reading the books that I've seen uh, the movie's miniseries of and go from there. I just got done with reading The Stand for the first time and was beyond impressed with it and even enjoyed both the adaptations. As I finish a book or movie, uh, I then listen to your corresponding podcast and I love your insight. I'm sure I'm not alone saying this, but I hope one day someone can fully explore the Dark Tower universe either through an animation series or a live action fully developed slash explored series. Without getting too personal, I feel like we live in the same area of the country as you described the weather changing and whatnot. I live in New Hampshire. I think one of your podcasts, you described vacationing to Hampton Beach. Maybe I'm getting that wrong, but that's where I lived my whole life, and that was awesome to hear. My brother and I are taking a trip to Bangor, Maine in October, and I've already listened to it once, but I'm going to re-listen to the podcast you did on the tour. Anything else not included in the episode you can think of that would make the experience the best, you can uh, please let me know as I'm very excited. Um, I love the breakdown of the ending of each of his novels. It's nice to remember how some of them end, and mostly I agree with your assessments. Thanks again. Update. I meant to send this a long time ago. I'm just getting around to it. Bangor was awesome. We had Stu's son James as our tour guide. I was so involved in the tour, I forgot to ask him about the Barons as he did not tell us about them or stop. Oh, that's a bummer. I got to go to the Barons. I'm going to email him, but I'm assuming they're near the waterworks where Dreamcatcher was filmed. But overall, we had a great time. My brother and I are hoping to go back to Bangor soon. Mark. Mark, um, thank you for writing in. Um, great email. And uh, for anyone that is curious about what Mark is talking about, there is something called the uh, Stephen King Tour. And you can go to Bangor. And Stu, and apparently his son James, uh, can take you around Stephen King's hometown and show you all of the sites that have inspired aspects of the novels. Um, it's a wonderful tour. Um, I strongly recommend it. I did an episode on it, so just go find that episode for my review of sktours.com. Okay. And then longtime listener Marianne writes, Hi. Um, I really enjoyed Billy Summers. 
Uh, it twisted and turned in unexpected places, which kept me guessing, and it was uh, an interesting empathizing with a killer, with morals or his own code of conduct. I'm going to do a reread. I think I kind of raced through it. Um, I found a couple of mentions of the lockdown, shelter in place, I think is your term, to come a bit weird as though it didn't feature at the end of the book. I thought that might come, but it didn't, so they felt a bit extra. And I don't know that the nod to the overlook and the hedge animals was necessary. A nice wee Easter egg, but again, extra to the story and in no way an integral part. I felt they took me out of the flow slightly, but the ending was great, super strong. I'm rereading Secret Window at the moment some of which is in Dance Macabre, but the new stuff to me is fun. And then she writes back, um, I just heard you asking about Billy Summers. I'm about a third way through the book. I'm so hooked. Um, I'm really enjoying your endings. It's funny how this reputation of not being a good finisher has grown, despite most of his endings being great. I guess the negative always shouts the loudest. I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on reviewing any other of Stephen King's works beyond the novels and novellas or on writing. Um, I mean, I, I've said this before with Dance Macabre and on writing. I, I don't know if I can really engage in a dialogue with the text of those as they are nonfiction. And I would just strongly recommend people go seek them out especially on writing is such an amazing glimpse into the mindset of a creative and prolific author. So I strongly recommend that, but I have no plans on actually doing a podcast episode on it. Marianne continues, I've recently been reading some books about Stephen King and have started digging up some of his other published stuff in publications like The Atlantic, The Paris Review, and The New Yorker, as these are online and are accessible via a subscription. I'm sure I will have come across some of these stories and anthologies or collections, but it's fun finding something that I haven't read before, and I wonder if you have done this at all. No, I, I stick with the traditional um, publications in the bookstores. I wasn't aware of his writings for magazines until reading these books about him and his craft. I guess not being exposed to these magazines over here in Scotland, but also not knowing other Stephen King fans. I also just found out about the desk calendars. I'm wondering if these are like diaries or journals. Again, not something I've ever seen. As an aside, I felt as though I was in the solo bubble of appreciation when I found your cast all those years ago. It was like finding the coolest book club. Oh, thank you. So again, thanks for all that you have done. My bubble is continuing to slowly expand as I find more that I haven't read. Marianne, thank you, and just thank you for your support throughout the years. Okay, everyone, if you have um, any thoughts on any aspect of Stephen King, from how you got into Stephen King in the first place, your favorite books, um, or something that you have consumed of Stephen King uh, lately, as I record this, I am halfway through uh, Gwendy's Final Task, the book co-authored by Richard Chismar. Um, and hopefully sooner rather than later, I will have my review of that. And I guarantee you, it will be more in-depth than my review of Billy Summers. So if you have any thoughts on Gwendy, if you have any thoughts on any upcoming Stephen King news, if you have any thoughts on any recent Stephen King, um, you know, books or movies or television, feel free to write in to stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. And now I am going to start to discuss the conclusion to Wolves of the Kala to see if Wolves of the Kala fall prey um, to the idea that Stephen King can't land his endings. But first, let me read a Wikipedia summary so that I have a basis upon which I can build my analysis. 
After escaping the alternate Topeka and the evil wizard Walter O'Dim and weathering the Stark Blast, Roland's quartet begins to sense they are being followed in their travels. During this time, Eddie Dean and Jake Chambers are sent to New York 1977 via a dream state called Todash. There they encounter Tal Calvin Tower, a bookstore owner who gave Jake a book in the Wastelands that proved integral to the quest for the Dark Tower. While in Todash, Eddie and Jake discover the tower owns the vacant lot that houses the rose that's in the physical manifestation of the Dark Tower previously encountered by Jake in the Wastelands. Jake and Eddie also discover that Enrico Balazar, the crime boss that appeared in the drawing of the three, is attempting to coerce Tower into selling the lot to the mysterious Sombra Corporation. If this happens, the rose and the Dark Tower itself will be destroyed. Soon after, the, the Kotet discover that they're being followed by citizens of the farming village of the Kala Bryn Sturges, as well as Father Callahan, who was originally introduced in Salem's Lot. He and the townsfolk request the Kotet's assistance in battling against the wolves of the Thunderclap, who come once a generation to take one child from each pair of the town's twins. After a few months of being away, the children are returned root, mentally handicapped and destined to grow to enormous size and die young. The wolves are due to come in about a month's time, according to Andy, the amicable human ro humanoid robot that appeared in the Kala long ago. When asked about the wolves, Andy refused to divulge any information without a password. Eddie also speaks with Jamie Jaffords, an elderly resident of the Kala who remembers the previous time the wolves appeared in the Kala. Father Callahan also tells the gunslingers his remarkable story of how he left Maine following his battle with the vampire Kurt Barlow in the novel Salem's Lot. Since that encounter, he has gained the ability to identify type 3 vampires with a blue aura. After some time, he begins killing these minor vampires as he finds them. However, this makes him a wanted man against the low men, and so Callahan must go into exile. Eventually, he is lured into a trap and dies, allowing him to enter Midworld in 1983, much as Jake did when, he, when killed in the Gunslinger. He first appeared at the way station shortly after Roland and Jake met for the first time and meets Walter O'Dim, who gives him an evil magic ball called Black 13. Walter transport Callahan to the mountains near Calabrin Sturges, where he is found by the Manai people in a place called the Doorway Cave. Roland deduces that Black 13 introduced the Todash dreams that sent Eddie and Jake to New York and that it's capable of allowing them to travel between worlds. The Kotet decides to use the evil object to travel back to New York in 1977 to ensure that the Rose is protected. Eddie and Roland venture to the doorway cave where Callahan first appeared in the Kala. Using Black 13, Roland opens a door for Eddie to travel to New York. Once there, he fends off Balazar's thugs, threatening to kill them if they come back for the tower. He then tells Tower that Balazar will come back for him and that he should flee and leave a message for the Kotet so that he may find them again. Tower agrees to do so, but in exchange, he asks that he can hide his valuable books in Roland's world for safekeeping where they are hidden in the doorway cave. While planning the battle with the wolves, Roland and Jake notice bizarre changes in Susanna's behavior, which are linked to the event recounted in the Wastelands when Susanna coupled with his, the demon in the stone circle. Roland informs Eddie that Susanna has been impregnated by the demon, and though he fears for her safety, he remains surprisingly calm. 
They promise to keep the fact that they know a secret from Susanna, but later Susanna reveals to the Ka-Tet that she herself has come to grips with it and knowledge of a second personality living in Susanna named Mia, daughter of Nun, is shared. Jake finds out that Andy is an emissary for the wolves and that his new friend Benny Sleitman's father has betrayed the Kala by feeding Andy information in exchange for sparing Benny from going to the Thunderclap. Jake follows the two of them to a military outpost between the Kala and the Thunderclap known as the Dogen, where he discovers a surveillance system that monitors the entire Kala and overhears Andy and Sleitman communicating with someone named Finley Otego. Jake tells Roland, who shows mercy not by killing Sleitman, instead leaving him alive for his son and for Jake's sake. Eddie also blinds Andy and decommissions him for his part in the wolves' attack. On the day of the wolves' arrival, Roland reveals that what he has gleaned from Eddie's conversation with Jaffords earlier to his attack team, the wolves are not men, but rather robots, much like Andy himself. The wolves attack using weapons resembling the snitches found in J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series and lightsabers found in George Lucas's Star Wars and have Doctor Doom-like visages. The gunslingers, along with some help from a few plate-throwing women in the Kala, defeat the wolves with only a few casualties, including Benny Sleitman to Jake's dismay, all the while the children safely hidden in a rice patch nearby. After the battle, Mia takes over the body of Susanna and flees to the doorway cave where she uses Black 13 to transport herself to New York. Roland, Eddie, Jake, and Callahan follow her there, but are too late. Mia and Black 13 are gone, and the door in the cave is closed. While in the cave, Callahan makes a shocking discovery while looking through Calvin Tower's books that causes him to question his own existence. A fictional novel called Salem's Lot, written by someone named Stephen King, that seems to recount his encounter with Barlow and the vampires. So let's talk about the ending. We're going to start with the climax, which is, which is the shootout with the wolves. The falling action is Mia taking over Susanna and going through the doorway cave. And the resolution is that Callahan learns of the novel Salem Lot by Stephen King. So let's talk about the criteria for a good ending. I'm going to ask a couple questions, and it's going to work us through. So does it provide an appropriate conclusion to its characters that is consistent with the characters' actions, conflicts, or themes of the book? I would say yes because so much of the novel is about Jake growing up. With Benny Sleitman's death, it's another step in the death of Jake's childhood. So for me, um, so much of this is a, a transition book. It's transitioning from um, a point in time in which Stephen King had written these books prior to his car accident. This is the first set of books post uh, car accident of the Dark Tower series in which he is uh, writing them and there's this massive transition here that is that fits very nicely with what he is writing about um, in the book so yeah I, I think that the conclusion here it it signals a death of childhood for Jake spoiler alert for the rest of the Dark Tower series including the Dark Tower so if you don't want me to spoil anything um, cry off and turn back so because we're talking about the death of the childhood thematically of Jake, it's also foreshadowing to the literal death of Jake himself. Next question, does it successfully wrap up the plot? Specifically, do the events build upon one another with consistency? Yes, I would say so. After much planning by our quartet, the wolves arrive, and what King does well is illustrate the ruthlessness and precision of our heroes. 
despite a couple missteps in the plan, including Susanna going into labor, the Wolves just don't stand a chance against our Cotet. It's important at this stage in the story for King to illustrate how efficient the Cotet is when they're at the height of their powers. Soon they're going to be split up across different wheres and whens, and in order to wring out the tension from that, King needs to show you what's at stake. Remember, it's the fate of all existence that's hanging in the balance. So right now in our pop culture, the idea of the multiverse is popular right now, and that is what is at stake here, the fate of the entire multiverse, according to Stephen King. So when you see the Cotet working so closely together, it's easy to see them barreling through any conflict in their way, which is what makes what makes so it, that's what makes what comes next so devastating. So plot wise, yes, works very well. Does the conclusion serve the theme, symbolisms and motif? Yes, I already talked about Jake growing up. What is the most famous scene in the novel and does it appear in the conclusion of the story? Um, this does not necessarily have to take place in the end and I'm not using it as an example for um, a requisite for it to, to be a good ending. It's just I think that if the most famous scene does happen to take place in the ending that it, it's kind of a, a check mark in its favor. But I would say it's probably Roland dancing the Kamala which takes place at the beginning. Are there other factors that we need to consider? Um, yes, the book was written in conjunction with Song of Susanna and the Dark Tower. Um, and these three books together uh, read like one long ass novel. So it's, it's, it's hard to actually discuss the ending of this and treat it like an actual ending when it's really just, it's a cliffhanger to the, the, the next book. Um, but with that said, it does wrap up the plot of the Kala. It does, uh, wrap up the versions of these characters as we have come to know them and get them ready for the final stage of their journey um, in, in a very efficient way. So do I like the ending? Yes, I do. Is it a good ending based on everything I said? Yep. Um, I would say that it is. Uh, so that brings us to uh, me personally liking 30 out of 34 endings and 30 out of 34 endings are objectively good. So. For those of us thinking that Stephen King doesn't know how to end his books, I would disagree. All right, everyone. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed your time. If you have any questions, feel free to write into Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com. Um, and I hope to be back uh, sooner rather than later. I would love for the next episode to be my review of Gwendy's final task. I really hope that I'm able to do that and do that soon for all of you. I would love to be able to get back to podcasting on a more regular basis. Um, so, uh, Take some time, leave a review, write in to Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com. And may you have long days and pleasant nights. And I'll see you here next time where M O O N spells Stephen Kingcast. <laughs>